All right, now turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. We'll look at these together. So this is the fulfillment. Exactly what was said here is repeated. Luke chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6. And this is the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. He preaches repentance of Israel to turn back to God. We know that there was a religious system that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the uh, religious system of the day was following the outward requirements of the law, but the inward part, the heart, was not there. Isn't that a great lesson for us? That we can do the outward things, but our heart can be far from God. Uh, Israel was like that in the past in the Old Testament, but we see his purpose was to shake them out of their outward ritual, but turn their heart fully towards God. And very interesting, this is a message in and of itself, to turn of the hearts of the fathers toward the sons and the sons towards the fathers to restore the family. Amen. Family is so important. Amen. And by the way, our culture devalues family, unfortunately. Uh, devaluing of the family unit, uh, devaluing of a husband and wife relationship, parents' relationship with their children and children with their parents. There is an attack on that, and the devil has that for a particular reason, because without solid families, you can't have solid churches, and if you don't have solid families, you don't have a solid country. Why do you think our country's falling apart? Why do we? Because families are destroyed. Because husbands and wives, uh, well, people don't get married anymore is the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that uh, there is a, a lack of respect, uh, a lack of love toward children, and also lack of respect from children to their parents. Uh, and this is all against uh, what the Bible teaches us. And I said that's a message for another time. But here, that was his purpose in doing that, to turn their heart back towards the Lord. Everything about his birth and ministry was miraculous. But Luke 3, beginning verse number 1, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Aturia and of the region of Traconteus, and Licinius the tetrarch of Abilene. <coughs> Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain, and he shall, shall be brought low, and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So John the Baptist, he's an evangelist. That's what he did. He went and preached repentance towards God to preach turning away from your religious system and turning toward a real relationship with the Lord. And he was a fulfillment. And his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were beyond their childbearing years. Look back at Luke chapter 1. But we see something about them, uh, that they were faithful people. It says, verse number 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They just loved the Lord. They did all that they were to do. They were faithful. And now they were uh, beyond childbearing years. We don't know how old they were, but it says here they were now well stricken in years. So this whole situation reminds you of what? Abraham and Sarah. 
Um, actually, this being done was a sign uh, as a miraculous thing. Because if you look at it from a human perspective, well, yes, those things could have been true of anybody. But God wanted everyone to know that this child was to be special, that there was going to be great rejoicing, and that this person had a special job from God to do to that to be the forerunner of the Messiah, to prepare the way. As it says here, a path in the desert for the Messiah, for the Lord. Everything was miraculous about this. And then they were seeing that uh, Zacharias was in the temple doing his job. It would, they would take turns, and it was his time of year to go and to do his faithful service of burning the incense in morning and evening sacrifice at the altar of incense, which was right next to the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. And we see that in so doing that and doing his very important part of the worship of God, Gabriel appears. And it says here that he was troubled in verse 12 and fear fell upon him. I don't know about you, but if I saw an angel appear in front of me, I would be troubled as well. Uh, we would be afraid. We're looking, well, why? It's just Gabriel. You know, why is he afraid? You would be troubled as well, wouldn't you? Uh, and he didn't know, knowing also being in the midst of his worship, in the midst of giving incense, was he going to bring a good message or a bad one? Uh, was this a proclamation of judgment upon Israel? He didn't know what was going to happen, but here it is. And But the angel said, And fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. So that brings us into God's message. Number two, God's message. So Gabriel appeared to Zacharias during his time, and we see that he had been praying. Zacharias had been praying for a child. I don't know if he had still been praying. We, that question, we, that question, the answer to that question, we don't know. But we do know that for years he had prayed for a child, and an angel appears to him and tells him, your prayer has been heard, you're going to have a child. They're probably in their 60s or 70s. We're not, it says well-stricken, so they're probably up in that age range. And uh, I don't know if uh, what he was thinking. Maybe I said, well, this is a little bit too late for that. Uh, you know, what is going on here? This uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't make any sense. And it says, And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And uh, which is a Hebrew word um, uh, that comes from, uh, uh, oh man, it's not Jonas, uh, Joanna, something like, along those lines. I'm sorry, I'm not firing at all cylinders this morning. I apologize for that. Uh, but uh, it's one of those things. Oh, I'll remember that. I won't make a note about it. Anyway, I'll make a note about it next time. But uh, it uh, has the idea of uh, Jehovah, uh, the hope being in Jehovah and being in the hope and the grace of God. And we see this, she'll call him named John, and shall have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. So that is the vow of a Nazarite. Samson was a Nazarite. Uh, Elijah was, uh, from all appearances, was a Nazarite. Uh, and Elisha as well. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let's pause for a moment. Now, all those that were familiar with, especially the worship of God, they knew this promise. 
They knew these. We have to understand something. When these things were being said, those that heard them, that knew the prophecies, that knew what was to come, these were fulfillments. And so when Zacharias heard this, he knew this meant exactly what was said in Malachi Verse, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that this was a fulfillment, a direct quotation, and this was an angel of the Lord that came to him. In verse 18, And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Now you look at different accounts in the Old Testament, and you see the message of God coming to people. You see it coming to Noah. And Noah was told to build an ark that the world was going to be destroyed by a flood. He had never seen a flood. He had never seen rain. But yet, what did he do? He simply went and did what God told him to do. He didn't say, well, this doesn't make any sense. But Zacharias here, and to be honest, we can't be too hard on him because we do the same thing so many times. (coughs) We do the same thing. God, this doesn't make any sense. This is an impossibility. He goes, how shall I know this? How do I know that what you're saying is the truth? I don't believe it. That this is completely out of the blue. By the way, imagine serving the Lord faithfully in your service for 30, 40, 50 years, and all of a sudden an angel appears to you and tells you everything that you've been praying for will be fulfilled. And by the way, your son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. You know, and, and you know what? You might be tempted to think, well, that's just a little too hard for me to swallow. And he has his doubts. A man who had been waiting for years for a child and perhaps had long forgotten the prayers of his younger years, yet God was faithful and willing to answer this prayer in such an unusual way. You know, have you ever had that happen, that you were praying for something for a long time? Maybe you haven't prayed for it for a while, but then all of a sudden God answers it. God doesn't forget prayers given made to him, amen? We forget, but God is always faithful. And those promises, yes, the promises of the Old Testament to the New, miraculous, but can we transfer this over? God is faithful to his promises to us. Faithful in the promises of salvation, amen? And that if we call upon him, we shall be saved. The promises of never leaving us or forsaking us, the promise of his provision, all of these things, I pray that they're an encouragement to your heart that God is there and God doesn't forget about our prayers to him. (coughs) But man's doubt. This was a little too much for Zacharias. He was human just like we are. He doubted. He doubted. Well, I don't know. Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. What was he thinking? He was thinking in a human sense. He was, he, he was thinking by the limitations of himself and the limitations of mankind, but he forgot who he was speaking to. He was speaking to a messenger of Jehovah, the almighty God. For with God, all things, for man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are what? Possible. And we see that actually that verse is used a little bit later on in dealing with Mary. Is talking to Elizabeth a little later on. That verse is, it's impossible with man. It's impossible. But all things are possible with God. The message. So what's the message? An angel was standing in front of him named Gabriel. And Gabriel was telling Zacharias exactly what Jehovah God had told him to speak. Let's look down to the next verse. In 19, the angel answering said to him, I am Gabriel. 
that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. So what was the purpose? He goes, I was standing in the presence of God, and God said, Gabriel, go tell Zacharias what I am going to do for him. Came right from the courts of the throne room of God to appear before Zacharias. And what he is, so why is he saying this? He's saying, Zacharias, just so you understand who you are doubting, you're not doubting me, you are doubting Almighty God, who just sent me to give you this message. And of glad tidings, I am bringing you a joyous message, and you're saying you don't believe it. I don't know if you read that. When I read that, I was like, uh-oh. Do we do that? When God wants to bring peace and joy and blessing into our life, and we say, well, how? I don't see it. I don't understand how that can happen. We don't need to raise our hand. We've all been there, haven't we, at one time or another. We've doubted. Aren't you glad God is gracious? He loves us so much. He gives us so much grace. But you know, there was a consequence here. From the very throne room of God, Gabriel was sent, yet Zacharias doubted. And as a result, Zacharias was struck speechless until the birth of John. This was a sign that indeed this would come to pass. That because of his doubt, he lost his ability to speak. And as a result, and, but we see that John, whose name means Yahweh is gracious, Yahweh is merciful. I did put it in my notes. Just the wrong spot. Anyway, Yahweh is gracious, Yahweh is merciful. That's what the name John means. But they wanted to, um, if we skip forward a little bit, at his birth, they wanted to name him something else. They wanted to name him Zacharias. They wanted to name him after his family name. And he was like, no, 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 no. And so they got a writing tablet, and he said, his name is John. Just like God told me to, I'm not going to doubt anymore. And at that moment, what happened? He could speak. And what did he do? He praised God because he believed. He praised and gave glory to God. You know what? There are times of his chastisement, but when we learn the lesson, we see there's restoration. Amen? There's restoration and there is blessing in that. So what is the lesson here? Let's be honest. Do we doubt the word of the Lord? Well, that was true of them back then. Right? That was true of so-and-so back in the Old Testament. That was true of so-and-so in the New Testament. That was true of them. But you know what? Those things don't happen like that anymore. We still serve the same God. Amen? We still save same serve the same God of Elijah and Paul and of Peter and Luke and Timothy and whoever else you want to name. God doesn't change. I change not. The same God who provided for them, who used them to do great and wonderful things is still the same God. And guess what? God still wants to do great and wonderful things in people's lives. But he needs servants to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece, to be his ambassadors. You know, sometimes we don't take our ambassadorship seriously. One of the most coveted positions in the United States government is to be an ambassador. And when you're selected, you're looked, every area of your life is looked into, and they count it a great honor. Why? We, the, an ambassador gets to represent the United States of America to other countries, and that the impression, whether good or bad, is dependent on that ambassador. 
And Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's our theme this year, sir, is we would see Jesus. Is our Christianity visible? Are we a good representation? Are we a good ambassador? Do people look at our life and say, you know what? They have something. They are a good ambassador for Christ. Do you have a good testimony in front of other Christians? You know, sometimes we're so worried about the lost world outside that sometimes we have a better testimony with our lost co-workers than we do with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to have a good testimony with everyone. Amen. Amen. With everyone, everywhere. Do we doubt God in very simple promises? Do we doubt him in his direction for our lives? This was the direction that God had for Zacharias and Elizabeth. He made no mistakes. He had a perfect plan. And God had that direction. But then when that direction comes, well, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't, isn't logical. Uh, we, that, doesn't, that, that would take a miracle. Well, you know what? God specializes in miracles. If he's leading, he's going to provide for you. Do we doubt his wisdom? That we look at the word of God and we open up, maybe it's in the book of Proverbs or maybe it's other parts of scripture and we are looking for direction, what to do in a particular situation and then we look at it and we see what God would have us do and then we doubt, well, does the Bible really apply to today? You know, does the Bible really apply to how I live my life now? Does the Bible really apply? You know what? The Bible's so old, I don't understand how. Can I just stop you right there? God's word is timeless. His truths are eternal. And its applications are endless. Yes, the Bible applies to life today. And probably at probably more applicable than probably any time in the history of our country. You want to know what's going on out there? Get in the book and you'll find out what's going on. You know, with a, we spend so much time... You know what? If people just got in the Bible, you wouldn't need talk radio. Right? By the way, you know talk radio is entertainment, right? You know, we're trying to keep the country informed and making millions of dollars doing it. Okay? And a lot of it, you know, and you look at these different, you know, news shows and everything. A lot of it's entertainment. Okay? Because people like to sit there and talk. You know what? We don't, we don't need to waste our time with that. We can just get in the Bible. We can see what's going on in the world today. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All sin comes from those three fountainheads. And that's what's going on today. People that want their own way, people that want what they want and don't care who they have to trample to get it, guess what? You find that in the Bible, and it's called sin. <coughs> it's called a sin nature. What's a solution? They need Jesus Christ. Oh, we don't, we need a political solution. We don't need a religious solution. You know what? I agree. I don't, I don't believe in religious solutions. I believe in relationship solutions. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, religion's a man-made thing. Amen? Uh, religion's a man-made thing. Following after Christ and following after what he tells us to do, I know people call that religion and the definition of it, but people say, you know what, I hate religion. You know what I tell people? So do I. There's a lot of religion today. There's a lot of religion. There's a lot of dominations, a lot of ritual. There's a lot of religion, and you know what? It doesn't do anybody a lick of good. But when we get to a relationship with Christ and a relationship with God and said, oh, I don't like all the entrappings of religion. Can I tell you something here? When we follow the direction of God and we follow what he says to do and also there's some things in there that he tells us not to do. Oh, I'm oppressed. You know, I'm in bondage. You know what? Sin is a bondage. Sin is a trap. But following God is freedom. 
All it is is telling you how to stay free. Amen? You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Do you know what? When you do that, you entrap yourself in sin and in shame, ruined your reputation, ruined your marriage, ruined your family. It's a trap. It's not freedom. So God's telling you how to stay out of the trap. I hope if we were going out somewhere in the wonderful state of Texas, I don't know about you, but if you look at all the things, the ways, the things that can kill you in Texas in the summertime, I mean, uh, I mean, even in the wintertime, 17 degree weather, man, I mean, I just think the state is out to get you sometimes, you know, uh, 110 degrees in the summertime, poisonous snakes of all kinds, you know, scorpions and tarantulas and all of those type of things. You know what? I would hope that uh, someone, if you're new here, that someone would come up to you, hey, if you go out hiking, you know, just don't pick up the little thing that runs around that has two claws and a, a thing that bends over like that. Those are your friends. You can just pick those up and they're, they're great pets to keep, right? Uh, you're going to find out that they hurt an awful lot, right? And, you know, some of them actually, people have reactions to them and they die. And uh, I would hope someone would say, you know what, it's just fine to keep that little scorpion, you know, they're your friends and just to keep them and put them in your pocket. You know what, if you, if you ran across that person, you picked them up, got stung, you said, man, that person is mean. They played a trick on me. No, some churches do that. They say, oh, well, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine to keep that scorpion. You're fine to do that. Guess what? We're your friends. We love you in the Lord. We just all love one another. Kumbaya. You know, we're strumming the guitar. You know, we're just having a great old time. Can I tell you something? They're not being friendly if they don't tell you about something that's dangerous. I'm not saying they're doing it in a malicious thing, but they think we're being loving when they're really not. When you love and care about somebody, you're going to tell them about something that's dangerous. Amen. I hope you tell your children not to put their hand in a fire, right? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to restrict them too much, you know. I just want them to experience life themselves. You know what? And, uh, in, and, and we teach our children not to stick their hands in the fire. And uh, to stay away from the, we have fire pits sometimes and we have fires and we tell them for a couple of days after, stay away. Well, I don't forget Timothy, um, he decided that it looked like fun to stick his hand into the ashes a day after a fire and grab something out of there. He saw something sticking, I went and grabbed it and uh, started screaming because he grabbed an ember. Can I tell you something though? And that even though we taught him in that experience, he has never come anywhere near that fire pit again. Right? Don't we have experiences like that? You know, and there's times that we doubt the promise of God and we doubt the instruction of God. Well, I don't know if that's really dangerous or not. And we go and we pick up an ember. Right? But aren't you glad that God's there to forgive? But also he tells us, I told you. Don't do that. I wasn't joking. Don't doubt the word of God. Don't doubt his power. How many times does Jesus rebuke his disciples that, oh, ye of little faith? Several times. They were following after him. Peter, the most famous, said, oh, ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt me? God is not pleased with our doubts. And also, he does not excuse them. You say, well, God understands I have doubts. No, actually, he doesn't. Because God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and has given us his word. What more do you need? And say, well, I need a sign. 
What did Jesus say to that? Only a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Because that's exactly what was happening with the Jews. They said, well, we believe you kind of, but, you know, do a trick for us. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. And uh, by the way, if you study all the promises that God had given and all the prophecies in the Old Testament, all of them fulfilled in Christ, you will see how the epitome of arrogance it is to even suggest, I need a sign. What more did they need? Amen. Hundreds of prophecies up until that point in his ministry had been fulfilled. And that's exactly... What Jesus was saying, only a wicked and adulterous generation, you don't you doubt all the other signs that have been given to you. You've doubted all the other prophecies, so what's one more not going to do any good? The rich man in that lifted up his eyes in hell and said, Hey, send send somebody back, send Lazarus back to tell my brethren. He said, Oh, they won't believe, even if one came back from the dead. They're doubting. Don't doubt. God is not pleased with our doubts. When God has so clearly revealed himself to us this morning, let us not doubt him. And God blessed Zacharias and Elizabeth to continue. I encourage you to go home and read the rest of Luke chapter 1, all that God did, and the rejoicing. You see, Elizabeth didn't doubt. We see that, that God was just, she was just so excited that God had answered her prayer, and that God was using her in such a special way. And Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And so uh, on one side or the other, so there was also the Levitical of the tribe of Levi connection on either Mary's mother or I was actually on her mother's side there. So interesting, an interesting connection there. If you look at, we looked at the genealogy last week. So next week when we come together for Christmas Sunday, we're going to look at how the prophecies concerning the birth of Christ were fulfilled, and how God did a mighty miracle. Let's not doubt the miracle of Christmas. Let's not doubt the miracle of the coming of the Messiah. Was Jesus the Messiah? We looked at that last week. An emphatic yes. He was and he is. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. Praise God. Praise Jehovah this morning. But are we doubting? Let's not doubt.